Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, <clears throat> and today my guest is Sandra Bain Cushman, who is an Alexander Technique teacher in Charlottesville, Virginia. She's been teaching the technique for about 20 years, and she's had a lot of experience teaching musicians and writers, theater groups, medical professionals, and business leaders. And she's also uh, been a co-director of the Alexander Technique Training Center in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is a training course for Alexander teachers. She is has uh, quite a bit of experience in various, I guess we could call it mind-body uh, practices, and is in the process of writing a book called Mind Body 40 Days. And we're going to do two interviews. This first one uh, will be generally how the Alexander Technique can be helpful for someone who's engaged in any kind of a mind-body discipline. And the second interview will be some specific uh, tips or suggestions for using Alex uh, Alexander Technique knowledge. Uh, Sandra, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Could you start by giving us a very short definition or description of the Alexander Technique? Sure. Well, what I think it is, Robert, I think the, I see the Alexander Technique as one of the longest standing and most proven methods, really, of mindfulness practice in the West. It's been practiced for over 100 years, and Alexander brought this unique method to the public first in, in England and now it's spread all over the world which allows people to direct their attention not only during a specific practice during the day but throughout the day in everything they do so mm -hmm. it's in that way I think it's unique mm -hmm. and how do you see it being particularly useful for people who are engaged in a mind-body practice? And maybe if you could give a couple of examples of the kinds of mind-body practices that you're, you're talking about. Well, many people are now studying mindfulness and developing sitting practices because as our world becomes more and more complex and there are more demands on our attention, I think people are feeling more fragmented than ever before. And interestingly enough, there's this great movement to sit and be quiet and begin to center oneself. What the technique has to offer that is this, I think, very magical information about how the body really balances itself and how our coordination works and what the centering in the body, what the uh, potential for that really is. And I think it's much greater than people think. I think we have some in really wonderful information in the Alexander world that I would love to see link up with sitting practices and yoga practices and all the wonderful things that people are doing to quiet themselves and center themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I've had some students who did sitting uh, Zen meditation and just on the most basic level, what I've found is the Alexander technique can help them just physically sit more easily. I assume, though, that you're talking about more than that. They can sit more easily. Oh, dear. I've got a phone ringing. <laughs> Let me see if I can get it off. Um, 
they can sit more easily without pain. So that's the physical benefit of the Alexander technique. Many people come to the technique and they get the physical benefit and they go away happy. They go away satisfied. Mm -hmm. But there are other benefits to the technique if you begin to think of what you're actually looking for in your sitting practice, which is more balance, not just in the body, but in your life, in your whole, in your whole self. And Alexander, I think largely because he worked with actors and, and artists, he understood right off the bat that his technique offered that. So not only are we finding a better way to sit in terms of body mechanics, but we're actually allowing the alignment within the body to evolve into an alignment within the self. And in one of the traditions that I study, which is down through the line of the Gurdjieff work, there are three centers. There's the mental center, there's the emotional center, and there's the physical center. And in my experience, when those three begin to line up and quiet and listen to one another, then we're in a whole new ballgame. And something that I think people really are seeking from their sitting, which is integration, calm, um, freedom from a lot of negative emotion, that kind of thing. Right. And maybe it would be useful to, as long as we're on the topic of sitting meditation, but this hopefully would apply to other mind-body practices, if you could say a bit about what it is that you... How is it that the Alexander technique is something that maybe is missing? What does it bring to the equation that other practices are missing or don't cover fully? Is there a way you could answer that question? Well, my first teacher, I think, is also your first teacher, which was Marjorie Barstow. Mm-hmm. And she uh, we should just it, say here, a, a very well-known Alexander teacher who lived in Lincoln, Nebraska most of her life, my, my hometown, and who was the first person to formally train with F. Matthias Alexander, the developer of this work in the early 30s. That's, 1931, I think. That's Wasn't when that she when signed up, yeah. Began. Yeah. yeah. Um, Marge, and when I met Marge, she was 87. And she was flying to Australia the next day to teach, which I found very impressive at 87. Mm -hmm. um, she called it this little bit of nothing. There's this little magical bit of nothing that the technique offers. And it really does seem like magic. And it's what Alexander called the primary control. Um, there are many different ways of describing it. But the simplest way is that when your neck is free and your head is balanced way up high on the spine, much higher than we ever think of it. We think of it sort of being lower around where we see the neck. But when you really move up and think of your coordination being organized much higher where your head rests on your spine, there's this fabulous release into lightness and whole coordination and ease that becomes available. And as far as I know, Alexander teachers and people who study the technique are the only ones who are really, truly skilled in that. I don't, I don't find it in other things. Even disciplines which are wonderful and actually are very good combinations with Alexander Technique, things like Pilates that help you strengthen your core, they don't tap into this. Um, and Alexander teachers are trained for three years, every day of the week, for three years, 
to be able to pass this information along through hands-on work. So there aren't that many of us, so there aren't that many people who know this. And I think that that's one of the things that I would wish for the world is that this information can permeate a lot of other disciplines. Yes, and I suppose a, a main reason why there aren't as many of us, and I guess the number now is somewhere around 4,000 teachers around the world, some something plus or minus 1,000 teachers or so, which is a fairly small number, uh, is that it does, uh, to train to be an Alexander Technique teacher is basically a three-year full-time commitment. And, you know, not that many people can do that. So that's that's certainly a reason why we're we have smaller numbers, but to to get back uh, to this this I, I just want to take the example of sitting meditation, but I think this could be expanded to pretty much all the other areas uh, that we're talking about. The kind of information that people who are in uh, who are studying that get about sitting often is not terribly different from the standard posture information that people get about sitting at a desk at work, uh, which is something like sit up straight or hold yourself up straight or hold your, all sorts of things like that, which from an Alexander Technique point of view are not actually useful suggestions. Um, could you elaborate on on that a little bit, or maybe you disagree with that? But what what is your take on what it's useful to tell someone, and that actually brings about a useful change? Well, we're actually going to tap into this in the second interview because okay. there, I think, there's some very learnable, specific relationships that you you can find and get active in the in the body that help bring about this balance, this finer balance is how I think of it. So I do agree with you that these things are not very helpful, that we're told. And they, they look at the body as though the body were stacked up on itself. Yes. It's sort of like building blocks. And, that it, and that's a compression structure. That's something, that's the way buildings, some buildings are built. Where in Alexander technique, we look at the body more as a tensegrity structure. And a tensegrity structure is a structure that supports itself through release. The compression parts of it, which in our case are the bones, are actually falling outward and upward and even downward into our musculature in such a way that the musculature becomes active and responsive through reflexes. And that sends us up into vertical. So it's this fabulous design, this fantastic system. And what I say is that it runs on awareness. If we're not aware of it, then we're using ourselves that other way, that compression structure, holding the parts together and dragging them around kind of way. And that actually preempts the delicacy and the lightness of this release. Something you can see in young children, they just have it. Um, David Gorman, I studied with him my eighth term of training, it, I went to London and I studied with David. And he had a wonderful description of this. He called our musculature a muscle suit. We have a muscle suit. And we're letting go of our skeleton into our muscle suit. And our muscle suit catches it and it activates and it takes us up. Mm, so that's, that's, that's a very nice description, yeah. 
Uh, and, and that's I, our special something. That's right. what we, that's what we have to offer. Right, and and I'm a, a bit reminded of um, something that John Dewey, who was a pretty well-known American uh, educator and philosopher, and also a student of Alexander, wrote in one of his books about the whole question of sitting up straight or standing up straight. It just appears in the middle of one of his lengthy uh, books on, I have no idea what the actual topic was, but it just appears out of nowhere. And he says, um, basically, that, that to tell someone to sit up straight or to stand up straight is um, at best useless and, and, and possibly harmful, and that all you're going to do is get a kind of a rearrangement of tensions. Uh, Marge Barstow used to talk about that as well. You're just rearranging your tensions when you sit when you sit up straight. If you just go and do it, try to do it. Exactly. Whereas the Alexander technique uh, is is a process that doesn't assume that you have previ that you actually know how to do it before you apply the process. It kind of takes you from where you are and shows you a direction of release. One of the beauties of the work is that we're always beginning again. We're beginning from this moment. We're never in the same position twice. We're never the same person twice. Exactly. And yeah. and when I think back to Marge talking about rearranging tensions, there's another great Alexander phrase, which is when we try to follow those, what I think of as crude and sort of primitive directions of sitting up straight, um, he he said it's you just do it a different kind of badly. Exactly. Those were those were yeah those were Dewey's words, weren't they? He'll yeah. stand if you tell a man to stand up straight, he'll do something for sure, and, and but he'll just be standing a different kind of badly. Yeah. So I can see uh, an obvious extension of this beyond just say sitting meditation to um, more movement-type activities like uh, yoga or tai chi. I guess we could consider those mind-body processes, uh, taking going from a relatively static sitting position into movement. But how about an activity like mindfulness uh, meditation, which I believe doesn't necessarily involve sitting is that right I'm, I'm not too clear on that myself but something that a, a meditation practice that's more integrated into your everyday activities how might the Alexander technique help with that it's a way of paying attention it's a it's instead of just working to have the mind be a blank mm -hmm. which of course we can never do anyway because the mind's busy cranking away I, I think, in my experience, the Alexander Technique gives my mind something constructive to do. And he did, one of the titles of one of the books is The Constructive Conscious Control of the Individual. And we begin to direct ourselves and think of releasing ourselves as we move through our lives. As we do yoga, as we do tai chi, as we play an instrument, as we go to the grocery store, and I often find when I teach my students, I'll say, you know, you're standing in the grocery store line and you've been running around doing errands. And what would you be thinking about if you aren't thinking about your directions? I mean, I'll be thinking about something really banal. I have the sort of stupidest thoughts, really, when I start to let them go wherever they want to go. So one is constantly learning to bring oneself back to oneself 
back to your standing balance, back to how your eyes are freeing and seeing around you. It's very aligned with mindfulness mm -hmm. because I think mindfulness is working to help us be more present. In my experience, what the Alexander Technique adds to that is the moment you find that wonderful primary control action in the self, you are more present. It just happens. So you're not sort of struggling in the dark to just be more present because that's an abstraction. Mm -hmm. We actually have a tool, a way back that puts you in your presence. It just drops you right in. Your eyes focus, your voice changes. It's fabulous. I used to love watching Marge work with singers because the moment she put hands on them and found that head-neck relationship and the whole, the whole person let go, the sound was fabulous. Also, when she would work with people with uh, wind instruments or piano, anything, you would hear the difference. You would, the sound would fill the room. The person, more of the person arrived in the room. And that is simply because we're engaging the actual design of our actual selves on a very sophisticated level. And I think that that's missing, not as in the other techniques are bad. I think they're fabulous and they're great preparation for the Alexander Technique, but it's missing. And, and we have that and I, it's needed. It, mm -hmm. We need that. And, and your, your reference to it being a sophisticated process, but it's also an incredibly simple process. It's not, it's, and Marge used to always say it's just too simple. She actually said it's so simple we almost can't learn it. Exactly. It's <laughs> Which incredibly is true. simple. But she was clever in her, she was very careful, I should say, in her choice of words. She never said it was easy. She just said it was simple. Um, well, one, and children know it. Children, children know it, have, sure. Yeah. So we really are, when we study the Alexander Technique, we're just relearning. We already had this. And we simply lost track of it. Absolutely. Because if we hadn't already had it at some point, I don't know that coming to a, a, a number of lessons with an Alexander Technique teacher could really bring it about. You need to have had, it needs to sort of be there somewhere embedded in this in the system. One thing, I know that we're going to do some specific, we're going to talk about some specific um ideas about applying the technique uh, in the next interview. But I think a question that might come up in some people's minds, and this might be a good place also to uh, bring this conversation to a, a close, would is the question, well, do I have to be thinking about my neck or my head or my head-neck body relationship all the time? That sounds like too much for me. And what would you say to that? I've actually got a whole entry in my book titled, Do I Have to Think About It? Um, at the very beginning, it's like when you're learning a language, of course you have to think about it because you don't know it. And, and so you're, what you're learning to do, I would say, going back to John Dewey, is you're learning to think. You're learning to think inside your activity through your physical body. And as you become more adept at that, my sense of it is you begin to inhabit yourself in such a way that it's simply part of how you think. Mm -hmm. You don't ever 
have to not think about it as in, oh, I don't need to pay attention to this anymore, but it's like a software program of your own attention that's been installed in yourself and it's running. And so you are thinking, that's the way you're thinking. Mm-hmm. But it isn't, and I know Marge, when people would ask Marge on her workshops uh, in, out here in Lincoln, all, many of them new students, they would say, well, should I be, you know, they'd say, should I be thinking about my neck all the time? And and Marge would discourage that. She'd say, uh, no, that would be boring. But she said, you know, a few times a day, you might want to bring your attention to something we've talked about. And then the implication was that over time, that might happen spontaneously more and more frequently. And it does, especially once, obviously, you've had a lot of lessons. I remember specifically, and it was back in the days when I worked with Marge, before I trained, um, I would notice that I would think about it about four times a day. Mm -hmm. That that was, I would count. Say, oh, I just thought about it. And then I'd think about it again, and that was the morning. I'd think about it again in the middle of the day, in the afternoon, perhaps at night. When I thought about it just four times a day, and I mean returning to it for a minute, I started to change. Yes, absolutely. Four my times a day. My body started to change. I would yeah. love it if all of my students would spend uh, four or five minutes a day um, noticing themselves. It's fabulous. And then <laughs> yeah. I've, I also yeah. have students who will report back that they're walking along not thinking about it, and it visits them. Exactly. Because yeah. it is them. It's how we're built. It's how we function. The Alexander Technique is just putting us in touch with that. Yes. So no, you can't. And there's actually a. We can close with this because I think it's a wonderful, a wonderful um, anecdote. Robert Fripp, who's one of my teachers, and I, a man I work with, and four in guitar craft, which has used the Alexander technique since 1985, is one of the big cornerstones of its teaching. He told a story. Tells a story about a woman running up to Gurdjieff, who taught in our work and. You could say meditative practices. She ran up and she said, Mr. Gurdjieff, Mr. Gurdjieff, I kept my attention for 40 minutes. And he wheeled around on her and he said, he didn't speak English very well. He was Russian. He said, not possible, not even for mother of God. (laughs) That's perfect. Yeah. So we should disabuse anyone of the notion that we're going to ask them to concentrate on something in air in a way that doesn't sound like a lot of fun uh that we, <laughs> that actually and actually you know um i've i i've always uh tell my students to to make sure it is fun for them and this isn't like a uh a task that they have to do on their own it's more just kind of playing around with their own awareness on their own and and enjoying the results. So maybe we should bring this interview to a close. We're going to do a second one in in just a few minutes. Um, So my guest today has been Sandra Bain Cushman, who who teaches in Charlottesville, Virginia, has been an Alexander Technique teacher for about 20 years, worked with a wide variety of students, has a special interest in uh, the relationship of the mind, of Alexander Technique to other mind-body practices, has been the co-director of the Alexander Technique Training Center in Charlottesville. Uh, Sandra, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Robert. <laughs>